podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. The Two-Footed Podcast is brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from while keeping your data safe. So, as an example, if you are a UK expat and want access to BBC iPlayer to watch Match of the Day or ITV Hub or all four, but you get that message that says this content is not available in your location, a Liberty Shield VPN gets you around that block allows you to watch whatever you want on those services while also keeping your data safe. And it goes further than that. It allows you to open up Netflix's entire library by just changing your IP address. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot with five-star ratings across the board. So go to libertyshield.com right now, use the code EPL25, and get either the hardware package or the software package. The hardware package is a router that you plug into your existing router. And any item you want to change the IP address on, be it your phone or your television, you connect that to the new Liberty Shield router. All other items can remain connected to your existing router. There's also a software package, which is instantly downloadable to your device, and you can get using straight away. Again, libertyshield.com, EPL25 for 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homework company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 for 10% off at checkout. And lastly, do remember to check out a tad predictable hosted by Tadiwa. That podcast is on this feed before every Premier League match week. And then the EPL Roundtable hosted by Kevin DeVries on its own EPL Roundtable feed. So just search EPL Roundtable in your podcast device. And that's out after every match week. Now, on with the show. Good boys and girls, two for the podcast on Thursday, the 2nd of February. We are clear of the transfer deadline. We are moving forward with the second half of the Premier League season. As you know, most teams have played 20 games. Some have played 21. A couple have played 19. But we're basically smack bang in the middle of the season. So much still to play for. Title race hasn't really got going yet. You're sort of looking at the last 10 games as a title race if there's still two teams in the mix. Right now, it does look like it'll be Arsenal-Man City in that race. The race for fourth could be 
very busy. You've got Newcastle, you've got Manchester United. Liverpool and Chelsea will be hoping to bounce back and get themselves in that mix. We know Spurs will be in that mix. And could one of Brighton or Fulham find another level? Maybe, maybe not. Brighton are probably more likely to. Brighton do have two games in hand on Spurs, and if they were to win both of them, they would go above Spurs and only be two points off the Champions League, though at that point they would have played a game more than Manchester United and Newcastle. One of those games in hand is against Crystal Palace. That's a game they should win. So, lots to play for at the top of the table. Lots to play for at the bottom of the table, though. You've got three points separating Southampton in 20th and Leicester in 18th. Southampton, Everton, Bournemouth, Wolves, West Ham, Leeds, Leicester. And I would throw Nottingham Forest and Crystal Palace into this mix. So Forest are on 21 points. Palace are on 24. So Palace are nine points clear of bottom place Southampton. Seven points clear of 18th place Bournemouth. But Crystal Palace have been really disappointing at times this season. Now, look, on the face of it, They've got 24 points in 20 games and they sit 12th. So I think it is a long shot that they would get dragged into it. But there's been some worrying signs this season. They had a really bad preseason. They started the season poorly. And then they just hit this malaise in the middle of the year. Like Everton walloped them. Everton haven't beaten anybody else, but they walloped them. They had a couple of games where it just didn't look like there was any real fight in the team, which is unusual for a Vieira team because at Nice, his team had plenty of fight about them. Same with New York City. And I think since he's taken over Palace, he's made them a more aggressive bunch than they were previously. Now, a big part of that, obviously, is squad turnover. And they have had injuries this year, which haven't helped. But... I'm hopeful that the two new additions that they've made in midfield will give them a little bit of extra oomph and more legs, more ball winning. I'd quite like to see a a midfield three where they roll out the two new boys either side of Dekure, go Olise, Zaha, Eze, Eze up front. Now, there's no natural goal scorer in that, but I do think it could be quite fun to watch. Forest obviously, I think, have to be considered a team that could go down. I don't think there's any doubt there. They were bottom for a while. They struggled through the first 10 or so games. Cooper has turned things around as I had hoped he would. But there's always the possibility that they go on another bad run and get dragged back into it. Leicester have too much talent to be where they are. They have invested heavily in January, but so have a lot of other clubs. Leeds have spent fairly big. Southampton and Bournemouth spent big. Wolves spent big. It's only really West Ham who brought in Danny Ings but didn't do anything else. And Everton who basically just sat on their hands. Who didn't really look to make 
a plethora of moves. Everton's big move was sacking Frank Lampard and getting Sean Dyche. Now, that's about as big an upgrade as you're going to get when you're in the position that they're in. And it's a much bigger upgrade than any uh, player could have given them. So, I think it's going to be really interesting. I think it's going to be really interesting to watch that relegation battle for the rest of the season. And I think it may well come down to the final day. And it may come down to the final day where there's nobody who's been condemned. And it's still all to play for. So we could get a really exciting end of the season at the top and the bottom. For me, final days where there's a lot riding on the bottom of the table is is more exciting than when it comes even down to who'll win the title. Especially if there's like, say, three teams and two spots for those teams to go down. I think that's always good. There's always plenty of drama. But I really like what Southampton did in the window. I'm just not sure about their manager. I like what Bournemouth did. I'm just not sure about their manager. I don't like what Everton did, but I do like the manager. I don't like what West Ham did, and I'm not sure that David Moyes should still be in that job. I like what Wolves did, and I like the manager. I like what Leeds did, and I like the manager. I don't really like what Leicester did, and I don't like the manager. I like Tete as a player. I think they've brought... I'm just not sure on Suter. I'm not sure with spending so much money on on him and the left-back when I felt like they could have gone for a higher-end centre-back. I don't like what Forrest did in the window outside of Danilo. Scarpa's good, I, I like, and I love Danilo. And Navas is a good signing. To be fair, I like it more than I thought. I just... Chris Wood on loan... Not really sure about that. I, I, I don't like... I don't like Felipe at all. I really don't like that signing. So I think I think we're in for a good run-in. Anyway, that's that. Uh, we did have the EFL Cup semi-final last night, the, the second semi-final, second leg. Manchester United won 2-0 at home to Nottingham Forest. Anthony Martial in the 73rd minute and Fred in the 76th minute, giving United a 5-0 aggregate win. And they will now face Newcastle in the EFL Cup final. So that one should be good. I think most people would like to see Newcastle win this one and then not win anything else because obviously bitterness and jealousy and also the fact that, you know, their owner murders journalists and has them chopped up. Um, I saw a lot of United fans saying... Let's not normalise the fact that Ten Hag took over and he's gotten us to a final. Well, Klopp took over mid-season, a significantly worse team than this, and got the two finals. Arteta took over a worse team than this and won an FA Cup. Let's not pretend there wasn't loads of talent in that squad and that they didn't then spend $200 Let's not normalize spending 200 million and considering anything to be overachieving. That final should be a good game, though. 
Should be a good game. Uh, it is questions day. So, we are going to start with one from Alex. Uh, he's got two, actually. Can you make an 11 of players with surprisingly full trophy cabinets who are mostly just along for the ride, thinking of John O'Shea types? And the second question is, can you or anyone explain FFP to me? Um, the best person to explain FFP is Mo Chatra. So I would say get in touch with Mo Chatra, at Mo Chatra on the Twitter machine, and he will he will give you a good rundown. I'm sure he's he's written a couple of good threads about it. Right, players with a surprisingly full trophy cabinet. A lot of these are going to be yeah hangers on. So, <clears throat> um, let's start with let's start with Keanu Navas because he's never been a great goalkeeper, but he has been a good goalkeeper through his career. But nonetheless, he has three Champions League winners medals. Three European Super Cups, three World Club Cups, and a La Liga medal, plus two French League titles. And before that, he did win one, two, three, four, five, six league titles in Costa Rica. Remember, Navas didn't come to Europe until he was 24. He was playing at home in Costa Rica until he was 24. And he's basically accomplished incredible amounts. Like he was at Albacete, they brought him across to Europe. Then he went to Levante. And from there, he went to Real Madrid. Like that's not a normal move. Not a normal move at all. So I would say him as the goalkeeper. John O'Shea definitely has to be in. John O'Shea won an awful lot while he was with Manchester United. We go down to his honours list. Five league titles, one FA Cup, two league cups, a Champions League and a World Club Cup. John O'Shea absolutely makes it into this team. As does his Manchester United teammate who I think might also have played with him at Sunderland uh, Wes Brown Wes Brown, five league titles two FA Cups, two league cups two Champions Leagues next up we've got Nacho of Real Madrid now Nacho's a, a good defender, a solid defender like O'Shea and Brown but he has predominantly been a squad player for Real Madrid. But while doing so, he's won three league titles, a Copa del Rey, three Spanish Super Cups, five Champions Leagues, three UEFA Super Cups, and four World Club Cups. Nacho might well be the captain of such a team. At left back... I'm inclined to say Wayne Bridge. I thought he won more than that. 
he missed the se- yeah he would have two league titles but he missed the season through injury he would have won two titles and I, I thought he he didn't play enough in city's title win so he was actually to be fair he was loaned to Sunderland for part of it he was actually um He was he was owned by Chelsea and City when they won league titles, but he only played for Chelsea during one. So Jimmy Traore, I mean, the guy won a Champions League. Jimmy Traore is is the left back. He he, he just shouldn't have been starting in a Champions League final, but he started. He actually played quite well on the day. But Jimmy Traore, uh, Champions League, FA Cup, and a League Cup. Uh, we're, we're putting him in. He also won a French League Cup and the MLS Supporters Shield. So Jimmy Traore gets in at left back. So it's a tall, it's a tall back back four. Everybody's six two and above. Um, midfield. Darren Fletcher has got to be in this team. You want to talk about it wrong for the right? The the Jordan Henderson of his time. Carried by superior players, adored by his manager because he was a, a brainless grafter. Five league titles, FA Cup, League Cup, Champions League, World Club Cup. Darren Fletcher. Absolutely. Now, now it gets trickier because can't just be players from Manchester United, although there are a few others, like Nicky Butt. But I think Nicky Butt was a good player who contributed a lot. And um, I think at any other club in England, he probably would have been a starter much earlier. But he was, you know, they had Keane and Scholes. Um, and Butt did play a lot, but not enough to warrant, you know, six league titles, three FA Cups, and a Champions League. Credit to him, he did move on to Newcastle. Um, but no, I won't. I won't include him. And uh, let's see. I would include Ray Parler here. I think. What did Ray Parler win over his career? Three league titles, four FA Cups, a League Cup, and a Cup Winners Cup. I'm I'm going to include Ray Parler, who was. A fairly average player, similar to Fletcher. Do you know, actually, James Milner has to be in this. Because if you look at what Milner has won, he's never been a starter. He's always been a squad player. He's never won a final that he started in. All the finals that he's won, he came off the bench. Twenty eleven FA Cup didn't come off the bench, but was on the bench. Twenty fourteen League Cup final didn't come off the bench. Last year's EFL Cup final came off the bench, scored a penalty. 
last year's FA Cup final. I believe he came off the bench and scored a penalty as well, but did not start either of those. So the four cups that Milner has won, he wasn't a starter in any of them. He also wasn't a starter for Manchester City in the 11, 12 or 13, 14 season. He was a squad player and he was a squad player when Liverpool won the uh, Premier League as well. He started the 2018 Champions League final, which Liverpool lost. Didn't start in 19 when they won. Started the 15-16 Europa League final and Liverpool lost. I believe he also started the 15-16 League Cup final. He did and Liverpool lost. Did he start the World Club Cup final? I don't think he did, did he? No, he did not. Did he start the Super Cup final? He did. So the only the only final he's ever started that Liverpool that that his team won was a Super Cup final that he was taken off on sixty four minutes with the game one one. It went on to be two two and then went to penalties, and he was taken off after an hour. So uh, he also started the uh, two thousand ten League Cup final uh, for Aston Villa, who lost. So James Milner not a particularly good record in finals. Um, the 2009 European Under-21 Championship Final. James Milner started and England lost 4-0. James Milner absolutely deserves to be in this team. Um, Right, who else? So we're looking at, at... Forward players now. We might have to go back to the Manchester United well just one or two more times. Um, Let's see. I mean, Nani, for me, was largely a passenger. Now, to his credit, he did have a couple of excellent seasons for Manchester United. Um, 2010-11, 2011-12, but they didn't win uh, the league. In, they did win it in 10-11. They didn't win it in 11-12. He has four league titles, two league cups and a Champions League. And a European Championships. I think Nani has to be in. Put him left wing. This is going to be my controversial pick for this. And I I, I don't expect many people to agree. But I'm including Gareth Bale. I'm going to include Gareth Bale. Three La Liga titles. A Copa del Rey. Uh, five Champions Leagues, three Super Cups, three World Club Cups. I think Gareth Bale was a passenger for quite a long time at Real Madrid, and I'm putting him in. Um, He also did win a League Cup with Spurs, but he wasn't part of the squad. So we're putting in Bale. 
So we just need a striker. We need a backup striker who tagged along. And I think I have the man. I think it's Solomon Callow. League title, four FA Cups, a League Cup, and the Champions League. I think it's Solomon Callow, who was bang average for most of his career. Now, he he did have a handful of good seasons, but he played an unbelievable Chelsea team and was largely a squad player. It's where he won most of his medals. Didn't win anything with any of the other clubs he played for. Did win the um, the AFCON with Ivory Coast. Came on as a sub for the last four minutes. And scored a penalty in the shootout. We're going Solomon Callow up front. So, Kaylor Navas, John O'Shea, Wes Brown, Nacho, Jimmy Traore, Darren Fletcher, Ray Parler, James Milner, Gareth Bale, Solomon Callow, and Nanny. There is my team. Um, I'm going to take a quick break. When we come back, we've got more questions. We've got questions from back 1977, Isaac Gilding, Rick M, AMK2889, Matt JT, and another one from AMK. So we will get to those after this. Right, welcome back. So, let's jump back into these questions. Fact 1977, notice two comeback stories for the season. The most obvious is Marcus Rashford, the second is William. Can you think of players who were ascendant or so established and then had a significant down period only to re-emerge as significant contributors to their club? Rashford is unique as a young player without a club transfer, but who had manager and personnel changes interrupt his progression. William was an overweight, out-of-rotation squad player at Arsenal, but is mimicking his old Chelsea form at Fulham. I would say Henrik Mkhitaryan had that really poor spell in England, but since moving to Italy has done very well, was very, very good for Roma. Say so he was one. I'd say Gareth Bale could be considered another early in his career. He was on a real upward trajectory, went to Spurs, and all of a sudden plateaued and then collapsed and his development went through the floor. And then obviously got a change of position was the key for him. Um, Rashford is such an interesting one, though, because he was clearly overplayed for a couple of years and he had a number of injuries and he played through those injuries and then had surgery to rectify those injuries and was rushed back or, or rushed himself back and obviously struggled badly last season. Like there was a real fear he was going the Delhi route. Now, the Delhi thing was was different. It wasn't injuries, but he had been overplayed. Delhi has a lot of stuff going on outside of football that really has has hurt his career and kind of taken his focus off his football. But I think Mkhitaryan for the Willian one, kind of a player. Now Willian was past his prime when he went to Arsenal. Mkhitaryan was in his prime when he went to. United and then and then to uh, to Arsenal. Another, I think, Angel Di Maria. He went to United and and really just looked poor. 
Um, but there's a number of players like that. Memphis Depay went to, was absolutely tearing the world apart when he was at PSV, went to United, looked like he couldn't kick a football, went to Leon and was incredible. Um, but for the, the young player one, I mean, Memphis would have counted as a young player. I also, I just think Bale, I think Bale when he was at Spurs was was very much like that. Um Trying to think of some others. See, oftentimes you get really exciting young players that make a move to a club and for whatever reason, it doesn't work and their career is never the same. And the one that always springs to mind is Sean Wright Phillips. Because Sean Wright Phillips at Man City was maybe the most exciting young player in the country for two years. 03, 04, 05, and 04, 05. Went to Chelsea and it was a disaster. And he was never the same player. Went back to City. He was better at City, but he was never the same player. He lost four years of his career, basically, at Chelsea. Now, he did win uh, a league title and an FA Cup, so he's probably happy enough. But when he went back to City then, it, it just wasn't the same. Moved on to QPR and that was kind of his career fizzled out. Went to the MLS and played in the USL. I always enjoyed watching Sean Wright Phillips. I just thought he was so much fun. Uh, Kieran Dyer was another one that I thought looked like he was going to be a a potential star. Made his debut for England as a very young player, playing at right back. I think he was 19, he might have been 20 when he made his debut, but he was an awful lot of fun in midfield, particularly when he played on the right of midfield. But he looked like he could have been potentially a Danny Alves type right back around the same time. No, this would have been well before Danny Alves, actually, if we think about it, this would have been late nineties, early two thousands. Danny Alves was, was unknown to us at that point And obviously was, uh, was a winger for up until probably Oasis, maybe. But Kieran Dyer, seven, eight years before that, looked like he could have been that player. Super talented. Unbelievable ability on the ball. Good work rate. Came through Ipswich and the talk was, this kid's got a great attitude. Went to Newcastle and his attitude changed completely. And he was known to throw money at people behind bars and say, here, double your wages and just genuinely be a bit of a prick. And it completely screwed his career. So for Rashford to have bounced back the way he has, I think that's really impressive. But I do think injuries were probably the biggest factor in Rashford more so than anything else. Uh, Isaac Gilding, can you make an 11 of players that peaked early? We'll say before the age of 23 and then 11 of players who peaked late. Right, well, we'll start with the players that peaked early. Uh, I would say Chris Kirkland, but again, injuries were the biggest factor there. Kieran Dyer is going to be my right back. We're going to build this team around Delhi Ali as a 10. I think Michael Owen. Now, Michael Owen, the factor is the hamstring exploded. But I think Owen and I think Robbie Fowler. I think both of them peaked really early. Now, I want to get Wayne Rooney into this team because I think he peaked very, very early. So I'm going to put him in in one of, in one of my midfield three, because why not? Um, 
Let's think. Who else? Ivan De La Pena. Peaked at about 21, 22. And his career ended up being a bit of a disappointment. Um, unbelievable ability. Like, probably more talented than Iniesta, but didn't have the same the same mindset. He was... I mean, he, look, he went to Espanyol and he had a solid career with Espanyol. But when he broke through at Barcelona, that first season, seven goals in 31 league games, that was the the pinnacle of his career. He was good the next season. Then he started to drop off. They, they sold him off to Lazio. He had one season there and it wasn't particularly good. And then um, they loaned him out to Marseille. Didn't do particularly well there. Got loaned back to Barca. Didn't do particularly well there. And then went on to Espanyol and, and had a solid career. Played for a long time for Espanyol, but he shouldn't have been playing for Espanyol. Guys just named Mario Gotza, and that's a hell of a shout. Mario Gotza is a hell of a shout. Gotza was 21 when he moved to, to Bayern. He was only 24 moving back to Dortmund. Like, he's only 30 now. But he... The peak of his career, obviously, is the, the World Cup final goal in in 2014 at 22 years of age. He won two league titles, was arguably the best player in the Bundesliga in his last season with, with Dortmund... Then gets the thigh injury conveniently around the time he agrees to sign for Bayern Munich. Sits out the Champions League final. Goes to Bayern. He does win three league titles, but it was never the same. So I've got to put Mario Gotze in. This is going to be a very attacking team. Wayne Rooney might be the defensive midfielder in this team. Um, We need other defenders now. I, I think Matthias De Ligt. I know it's early, but I think Matthias De Ligt is going to have to go into this team. He 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 looks like he might just be he might have peaked at 17, 18. He's had the move to Juve was the right move at the wrong time, and the move to Bayern is the wrong move because I, I just there's some coaches that are great coaches, but they're not good defensive coaches, and I think Nagelsmann's one of those. I think if you gave Delict to Conte. And he could play him in the middle of his back three. I think we would see a great version of Matthias Delic, but who's going to pay that kind of money for him? Um, who else? J- Jonathan Woodgate would be an obvious one here. Now it is injury related, like like Fowler and Ohm, but I think Woodgate warrants a mention here. And I'm going to go at left back with with an actual winger who at one point went for the most expensive fee in the world uh, in Danielson. He was phenomenal for Sao Paulo. Real Betis bought him for what was 21.5 million in 1998, a world record fee. And he he was up and down, but he just never got close. 
Um, he did play a couple of games at left back through his career, so I'm not cheating too much, but Danielson has to be in. So it's a very attacking team. Kirkland, Dyer, Delict, Woodgate, Danielson. Is is Kirkland the right choice here? He probably is, but there's a couple of others that would warrant it. Like it wouldn't surprise me if if Donnarumma is someone we look at like this. He's still a very good goalkeeper. But he would like when he first came into that Milan team. He was ridiculous. I don't think he's a better keeper now than he was, say, four years ago. He's a superbly talented keeper, as he showed in the Euros when he won it with Italy. But he's 23 now, and I I do wonder if he's ever going to be better than he was a few years ago. I'll go with Kirkland because it's too like Dunroom is so young. Delict I'm just putting in because he it just it he at 17, 18, 19, Matthias Delict was the best defender I'd ever seen for that age. It wasn't even close. He was a better defender at 19 than Nesta was at 19. And I always thought Nesta's the best young defender I'd ever seen. Now I didn't I didn't see Maldini, but where Delict is now, I mean, he couldn't even get in the national team for the for the at the World Cup. Yeah, that's what I'm going to go with. Uh, as for those who peaked late, what kind of age group have you given me here? Twenty nine and after. Let me see. I think Drogba is an obvious one to start with here. But was 29? So that would have been 2000. Yeah, 20. Yeah, that would be right. Mm. Drogba was probably 28. Though his best season came when he was in his 30s. He was 31 when he had his best. I'm going to say Drogba. I think Vardy's another one. And I think Ian Wright's another one. So I'm going to go with those as a front three. Uh, midfield. I think Fernandinho peaked late. He was 28 when he joined City. I think Fernandinho has to be in. What a player. Um... Emmanuel Petit was 27 when he joined Arsenal. Was really good straight away. Was really good for Barca and had a couple of great seasons for Chelsea. Now, he he was done 
at 34. But I think Petit is I think Petit is a decent pick there. Might not have been quite as late as, as you're looking, but Yaya Toure is a great shout, guy. Yaya is a great shout. So he, when City bought him, he was also 27. I would say he peaked probably, like his best seasons are 13, 14 and 14, 15. And he's, he's in his 30s at that point. So yeah, he has the third midfielder. Definitely. Right, defenders. Um, defenders can often peak late. Paul McGrath is an obvious one, I think. Paul McGrath was... Now, he was great from early, but he, he's another one that started playing professionally quite late. McGrath was 23 before he joined United, 30 joining Villa, and Villa's where he had his best form. And I will argue till I'm blue in the face that Paul McGrath is, in terms of the best centre-backs to ever play in the Premier League, Paul McGrath is top three at worst. So I'm going to go Paul McGrath. And I might... Is he born? Hmm. That's good. Carlos Puyol was a shout there. He did start to break down a little bit in his early thirties, and he, to be fair, he was he was fairly phenomenal from like oh five. Now he was about twenty seven, but I would say he's probably too too early. Um, Jose Font. Jose Font is worth a mention here. Like, he's 39 now, still playing. He was 27 when he joined Southampton, having been fairly nondescript at Crystal Palace for a couple of years. Carried Dejan Lovren. I would say Jose Font. I think he's got to be in. And he was was important in the... um, Portuguese team that would go on and win the Euros won his first league title at 37. Jose Font to me. Pepe is another, but I do think Pepe probably probably peaked a bit earlier than that. So yeah, I'll I'll go Jose Font. Uh, Fullbacks. I mean, Dennis Irwin seems like an obvious choice here. He was very, very good from as soon as United bought him. But I I really do think that the back half of the the 90s was when he really hit a groove. It might have been a bit... Probably looking, to be fair, you're probably looking about 93, 94. Yeah, well, he would have been... He'd have been 28. Do you know what? I'm going to put him in. Because I am, I am struggling. I don't want this to take all all day. Uh, I mentioned Kaylor Navas earlier as somebody who was sort of passenger in the car. I think he's the goalkeeper here. Twenty eight when he moved to Real Madrid. 
right back. This guy was great. This guy, like Irwin, was great before this, but I think I think Javier Zanetti. I think he peaked around 29, moving into his 30s and was just ferociously consistent. He was 22, almost 22, when he went to uh, Inter Milan. And he played 5, 10, 15, 19 seasons. I'm going to put Zanetti at right back. Don't love that goalkeeper pick. I'm going to stick with it, though. I'm going to stick with it. So there you go. Navas, Zanetti, McGrath, Font, Irwin, Yaya, Fernandinho, Manu Petit, Ian Wright, Didier Drogba, and Jamie Vardy. So hopefully that answers that. Uh, Let's see. What else do we have here? Rick M, with all the players Chelsea have signed, how do you think they will do this season and more significantly in future seasons? What do you think their best lineup is now? Okay, now... I would say, and this is just my view, I would say Kepa in goal, a back three of Fafana. I think Koulibaly is better than Silva, but we'll say Silva and Badia Shile. Wingbacks, James and Kukurella. Midfield two of Kovacic and Enzo. And Mudrik and Joe Felix, either side. Now, do you know what? We'll go Sterling, Joe Felix, and Mudrik as a front three. I, w- I would actually say Joe Felix, Havertz, and Mudrik as a front three. That's what I would say. Ha- Joe, Havertz, and Mudrik as a front three. And when Nkunku arrives, I would say Nkunku over Havertz. And then Sterling over Zhao, because Zhao will be gone. But yeah, that's what I would go with. How do I think they'll do? They spent an awful lot of money. They've still got Kepa and goal. I still think there's a hole at centre-back, because I don't think Silva's up to it. I, I, I know people fawn over him, but watch him play and watch the errors he makes. It just Him getting away with errors is not him being flawless. Um... And Koulibaly obviously hasn't settled. I think there's going to be a fire sale in the summer. Um, will they win major honours? Maybe not with this manager. I don't think. I don't think Potter will win uh, a league or a Champions League with them. I see a lot of Chelsea fans getting really excited and putting up these teams that, you know, who's going to stop this team winning the Champions League with like six of the new signings in it? You can only register three and you can't register Enzo. So. Enzo can't play in the Champions League for you. I'm not sure if Enzo's aware of that, but that's how it is. Um, AMK2889. Listen to the Brian Windhorse podcast this week, and one of them, one of the things they talked about was what current NBA coaches they think could dunk. They joked about wanting to see a dunk contest involving NBA coaches. Made me wonder, what type of events would you like to see managers and coaches taking part of that the players usually do a dunk contest or a home run derby. 
The NFL as a skills challenge might be fun to see some head receiver and quarterback coaches take part. I believe the NHL also the skill skill challenge it does. Um, the home run derby would be fun. The home run derby would be really fun. I'd like to see the three point competition. Steve Kerr would win by a country mile. Um, I reckon some of them might not even reach the rim. They used to do a game of horse at the All-Star weekend. I'd like to see that. I think that could be fun. I think some of the coaches would be quite competitive. The home run derby is the one that stands out to me, though. I think that would be very fun. Part of me would like to see an NFL skills challenge with the coaches, but I mean... A lot of the guys who become coaches aren't... Obviously, you get quarterback coaches and running back coaches and wide receiver coaches and cornerback coaches or defensive back coaches, but a lot of the guys who become head coaches are either defensive backs or they're linemen. They're not so much the quarterbacks and running backs. Um, No, I I think I'd stick with the home run derby. I just think that would be funny. I just think that would be funny. Matt JT, assuming there's no change in ownership, how much does Liverpool real- realistically have to spend this summer? How would you spend it and what do you th- how do you think they will spend it? I think realistically, given how little they've spent over the last four and a half years, they could stretch to a 200 million net spend. I, I think they could. Um... I think more likely is about a hundred million net spend, and that's maybe not even realistic. It might be more like fifty because that's kind of what FSG do. I think they could absolutely stretch to two hundred. There's no doubt in my mind they could. They could stretch to a two hundred million net spend. Um, how would I spend it? I would take a chainsaw to the squad, and there's a lot of the the squad players I would remove. But in terms of just, say, fixing the starting 11 and, let's say, the match day 20 as a whole, um, you've obviously got some players you can sell, like Joe Gomez, Joel Matip, Costa Simicus that are easy enough to replace. Like you could sell Gomez and Matip. That would probably bring you about 40, 45 million. And you could go and buy a good center back like a Maxence Lacroix for that money. And have, you know, significant money left over out of it. You could sell Costas and you'd replace Costas with with less than you get for him. So you might have you you might get twenty for him. You replace him for fifteen. You add that five to maybe the fifteen that's left over after Lacroix, and you have twenty and you throw that towards your midfield. Um, I've said before if if I got a really good offer for Harvey Elliott or Fabio Carvalho or both, I'd sell both. 
They got 25, 30 million for Harvey with, with good add-ons, bringing it to 40. I'd do that. I'd do similar with Carvalho if we got 20 with add-ons. Because I just don't think they're Jurgen Klopp type of players. I don't think they fit. Um, What would I do? Say, Let's say I have 200 million and let's say everything else is staying the same. So let's say we're just focused on what the issues are now. So we're keeping Matip, we're keeping Gomez, we're keeping Costas, we're keeping Cueving Kelleher, and let's say Klopp gets his way and they keep Firmino. So you don't need to buy an attack, although I still think they need a left-footed one to play uh, off the right when Mo is not there, but that's going to be Harvey's role because he's not a midfielder, so let's move him there. So you've got Harvey, Mo and Harvey, you've got Diaz and Gakbo, and then in the middle you've got Darwin, Jota and Bobby. You've also got Ben Doak who can play the wing, Cade Gordon can play on the right, so Cade Gordon on the right, Doak on the left. So that's that, that's fine. Um, You've got Robertson, you've got Simicus, and you've got Beck at left back. You've got Ibu, Matip and Sepp Vandenberg as the right side centre-backs you've got Virgil Gomez and Gerald Kwanzaa as the left side centre-backs at right back I would look to bring in uh, an experienced right back as cover for Trent although what I would actually do is I'd buy a starting right back but that's me I would buy a starting right back and I'd push Trent forward into midfield, and I would move to a 4-4-2. So that's actually... I'll, you know what? I'll do it the way I do it, so it's just easier that way. So we've got, we're going to have Ali in goal. Ibu and Virgil. Andy Robertson. Uh, Trent is going to play right side of a midfield four. Diaz is left side of the midfield four, but higher and wider. Gakpo is his backup. Curtis Jones can be the backup for Trent in this scenario. Um, Fabinho is a backup. Jones, Gakpo. Excuse me while I just write everything down so I know where I am. Um, Kanate, the backup is Matip. And then Sep. Allison is Quivine. Um I, I think Thiago's best if he's the third central midfielder. I think he's best as the third central midfielder. So he's not an every game starter. And then Mo and Darwin start up front. And Jota and Bobby can be, because I think Klopp is going to insist on keeping Bobby, so Jota and Bobby can be the backups. So uh, Okay. So I need, what I need then is I need a starting right back, two starting midfielders, and I quite like a, 
a backup, more a backup right back, and I would send Calvin Ramsey on loan because he's losing most of this season. So I would send him on loan. So two hundred million. The first player I'm going to buy is Jurian Timber to play right back. I think sixty million gets him done. The next one is Moises Caicedo. 75 million. Um, the player I would love, but I he's not really realistic because he plays for Everton, is Amadou Onana. But that's not a realistic one. I, do, I don't think. Now maybe it would be. Maybe if you offered them 50 million, if they go down, you could get him. Um, if not, I think I'd go Romeo Lavia of Southampton for about 40 million. I think that, I think Lavia Caicedo as a proper holding pair, allowing Trent to be the playmaker off the right. Lavia is really good on the ball. Caicedo is good on the ball. Trent is great on the ball, and you've got Diaz as your outlet on the left. Timber, Lavia, Caicedo, that's 175 million. And with the rest of it, I would go Ronnie Edwards, who is a centre back who plays for Peterborough, but I think would profile better as, as a timber type right back. Similar type of build. Similar type of game, not as dynamic as Timber, but still pretty quick and good and comfortable on the ball. Um, I think you'd probably get him for, I don't know, I think you might get him for like 8 million in add-ons. And I want to bump up the midfield a little bit more. I've still got Pesetic. I've got Morton. So to be fair, I'm I'm actually okay there. I've got Pesetic, I've got Morton. I've got Trent Jones. So I'm going to go. Harvey is one of the front pair, front group. Timber Edwards. Vandenberg can play there as well. So you so you could keep Vandenberg and Reese Williams to help with your non-homegrown fiasco, uh, which was sorry, which a homegrown kind of quota because they're both homegrown. Um, Kwanzaa, that's fine. Beck or whoever at left back, that's fine. So we've got Allison and Kelleher as the goalkeepers, Timber and Edwards as the right backs, Kanate Matip as the right side centre backs, Virgil and Gomez left side centre back, Robertson and Costas left back, Trent and Curtis Jones as the right side of midfielders, Fabinho and Lavia, Caicedo, Thiago, then Besetic and Morton as, as squad options plus Special Officer Hoofy. Uh, left wing will go with Diaz. See, I wouldn't keep Bobby. That's what I wouldn't keep, Bobby. That's just what it is. I, I would have Mo and Darwin with Jota and Gakpo as the backups. I wouldn't keep Bobby. This is what I'm doing, not what Jurgen's doing. So, what I need here is a left winger. I would go Thomas Lamar on a free 
Different type of player, obviously, to Diaz, but high-end technical ability, great delivery, good work rate. He's been indoctrined by Simeone. I, I think he'd be a good fit there on a free. There's, there's minimal risk. Do a three-year contract. Wages won't be extortionate, I don't think. Uh, I would go with him. So I am spending there $183 million. Now, there's one other player I'd really like us to get, and that's Alex Scott, who plays for Bristol. Really exciting young midfielder. Can play multitude of roles. So I would like to see us get him. So that's one, two, three, four. That's, is that five? One, two, three, four. It's six signings. Timber for 60. Lavia for 40. Paisado for 75. Edwards for 8. Scott for 17. And Lamar on a Bosman. It'll bring our wage bill down to bring those those six players in to replace Adrian, Milner, Oxlade Chamberlain, Keita, and Firmino. Those six would earn less than those of the, those five who are going out. I'm not selling anybody else. Got seven options in centre midfield. Eight because Scott can play there as well. I've got three options left wing in Diaz, Lamar. And Doak. I've got three options right side midfield, Trent, Jones and Scott. Three options in my second striker role, Mo, Gakpo and Harvey. Three in my nine role in Darwin, Jota and Kate Gordon. I actually don't have a spot for Fabio Carvalho, but you can use him in a bunch of places as you can, as you can with Harvey. Um... Yeah, I think that's what I would do. Timber, Lavia, Caicedo, Edwards, Scott, and Lamar. And as for homegrown players, I've got Kelleher. I don't think Ronnie Edwards counts for another year. What age is he? He's 19? Yeah, he's only 19. Edwards and Scott will become homegrown. They just won't be for like two more years. It's easier to count the, the non-homegrown. Allison, Timber, Canate, Matip, Virgil, Robertson, Costas, Fabinho, Caicedo, Thiago, Diaz, Lamar, Darwin, Gakpo, Mo and Jota. I think that's 16. Is that 16? 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. Eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. That's sixteen non players. Sixteen non homegrown players. So we're we're in good shape. Lavia will become a homegrown player when he reaches the age. So will Edwards. So will Scott. At that point, you could look at moving on the likes of uh, Curtis Jones potentially. But yeah, that's what I would do. So I'd have Allison and goal. Timber, Canate, Virgil, and Robertson as my back four. 
Trent, Lavia, Caicedo and Diaz as my midfield four and Moe and Darwin up front. And a backup 11 of Kelleher, Edwards, Matip, Gomez, Costas, Curtis, Fabinho, Thiago and Lamar, Jota and Gakbo up front. And I'd be quite happy with that. Uh, last question then. AMK2889, what is your opinion on Aljif Elmas? Would he be a good fit? I think he would. He's a good player. He's very good on the ball. And he's very, very hard working off the ball. Um, He hasn't always had the best of luck at Napoli. But he is only 23. And he does play an important role for them. Even if he's not an every-game starter, he does start a number of games for them. How's he looking this season in terms of starts? Let's see. Transfers. Right. To be fair, he's only played a thousand minutes this season, about a thousand and ten. So he didn't start. He started one Champions League game. He has started one, two, three, four, five. Six league games. Now, he started more league games recently. Um, and he did start in the Cup when they got knocked out by Cremonese. He actually captained them on the night, funnily enough. Um, he's so versatile. He can play everywhere. 23 with that profile. Yeah, I think I'd take him at Liverpool. I do. I think I'd take him at Liverpool. Right, let's go to the BBC website and get our gossip. Um, Barcelona have gone eight points clear after beating Real Betis. João Canseo made his Bayern Munich debut. Celtic won 3-0 and remain nine points clear at the top of the Scottish Premiership which is a thing of beauty. Rangers also beat Hearts, but no one cares. Uh, Kilmarnock beat Dundee United. St. Johnston beat Motherwell. St. Mirren beat Aberdeen. Aberdeen are just dreadful. Now, that was a home game as well, where normally they've been a bit better. Uh, let's just go to the gossip and get that done and get out of here for today. What do we have? Uh, Real Madrid will make signing Jude Bellingham a priority this summer. Arsenal are tracking Callum Hudson-Odoi. I actually think that would be a good move for all parties. I really do. I, I'm not willing to give up on Hudson-Odoi yet. Chelsea are looking to sign Andre Ayew, who is expected to arrive in the UK for talks and a free transfer. Nottingham Forest are also interested because, of course, they are. The Toffees could also look to sign Isco. Isco just failed a medical at Union Berlin and is dreadful, so say no. Um... Everton had a deadline day move for Duvan Zabata, rejected by Atalanta. That was f- one of 14 Everton targets that they failed to sign. Ben Chilwell is among Manchester City targets for the summer. Chelsea owners will not demand immediate results from Graham Potter. Do you want to bet? Do you want, do you want to bet on that? Chelsea are set to sign Jimmy J. Morgan from... Southampton, uh, another young player prepared to ruin his career. Make it make sense. Chelsea's Moroccan winger, Hacking Zayic, sent desperation text messages 
to Todd Bowley. Oh, well, Real Madrid are set to bid for Karim Adeyemi. I'm not sure that's true. I'm not sure I'd believe that. I like Adeyemi. I think he's very, very talented, and he's only 21. But he hasn't set the world alight for, for Borussia Dortmund. So let's let him settle in and do well there before we start linking him moves away. Barcelona will offer Sergio Roberto a new contract. Leeds declined the opportunity to sign Axel Tunzebi on loan from Manchester United before the window closed. Would have made sense for them to get him in, to be fair, but, you know, it is what it is. The agent of Roberto Firmino believes discussions over a new contract at the club will conclude this month. And that is that. That is us for today, folks. Thank you as always. I will see you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.